Lord Jesus, please, would you speak to us now, speak through your word to our hearts and to our minds, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a really difficult passage, this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Jesus here says, I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, he's, he's just earlier, in those previous few verses, has said to the people, you are either salt or you are not salt. The emphasis here in, in what he says is, is about salt losing its taste. Technically, salt can't lose its taste but it can become diluted. And if it does, it is worthless. And then he's also said, you're either light or you're not light. Um, if you're light, you will shine. People will see your light. It's possible to put a lamp under a basket, but it's pointless. Why bother to light the lamp in the first place? Light shines. Certainly that's been true of believers down through the periods. A Christian, sometime in the second century, wrote this. The difference between Christians and the rest of humanity is not a matter of nationality or language or customs. Christians do not live in separate cities of their own, speak any special dialect, nor practice any eccentric way of life. They pass their lives wherever they are, each person's lot is determined, and they conform to the ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. Nevertheless, the organisation of their community does exhibit some features that are remarkable and even surprising. For instance, though they're residents at home in their own countries, their behaviour there is more like strangers, transients. Though destiny has placed them here in the flesh, they do not live after the flesh. Their days are passed on earth, but their citizenship is above in heavens. They obey the prescribed laws, but in their own private lives they transcend the laws. They show love to all people, and all people persecute them. They are misunderstood and condemned. Yet by suffering death, they are quickened into life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They lack all things, yet have all things in abundance. They repay curses with blessings and abuse with courtesy. For the good they do, they suffer stripes as evildoers. That is light and that is salt. Marianne, I'm sorry, could you get me a glass of water, please? Um, so the critical question is, how do we become salt and keep our saltiness? How do we become light and keep our light shining? How on earth can we live lives of such righteousness that they exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? You see, the scribes and Pharisees get a bad press in the Bible, but we mustn't forget that they were considered to be the good, the moral people of that society. They were the rule makers and the rule guardians. 
They were the ancient equivalent in those, of those in our society today who are socially conscious, environmentally friendly, and what we critically call politically correct, but is actually about valuing each person as an individual. And what Jesus is saying to his followers is if you wish to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to live lives that are better than those of the best people round about you. Um, how do we do that? Especially if, as we often say, and rightly say, Christianity is a religion for sinners. Um, it's something that I often talk with people and when we're sort of perhaps talking about what church is and people think that by coming to church you're, you're saying you are a better person, uh, that you are a good person. I actually say, well, no, the whole point of coming to church is that you know you're not a good person, that you know you're messed up and you're a sinner. In fact, if you think you are really quite good... Could I suggest you, you, you're a bit above us. You, you shouldn't really be here. This church is for people who are sinners, who are messed up, who, who need God. And yet Jesus, who, who spent his time with drunkards, traitors and hookers, says... I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So how do we, the selfish, the fearful, the irritable, the cold, the self-indulgent, the judgmental, how do we become more righteous than the most moral people in our society today? Well, two things. Firstly, we need to come to the Bible, to the law and the prophets. Jesus says in verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. The source of the morality of the Pharisees were the traditions of the elders. The source of morality for people today, I guess, in our society is the media, pressure groups and political necessity. Well, Jesus is highly radical here. He says to his listeners that if they wish to know what true righteousness is, what a truly good life is, then they're to listen not to the traditions, not to the media, uh, but, but to this book, to the law and the prophets. I don't know whether if you've got a Bible, you, you might like to pick it up and sort of um, just have a flick through and you'll discover that sort of that much there is what we call the Old Testament. Um, it's about two-thirds of our Bible. And people wonder why we have that Old Testament. Well, it's about how God spoke to a nomad called Abraham about 6,000 years ago and said to him, I'm going to make your descendants a great people who will be my special people. And this is the story of that people. They became a homeless slave people who God rescued and gave a land, and he gave them an astonishingly precious gift. He gave them his law. 
It's the story of their relationship with God, of their repeated disobedience. It's the story of God's judgment on them and of his mercy. And it's the story of how God promised that one day he would give them a ruler who would establish his kingdom. And that on that day, people would begin to do what God wanted them to do. Not because they had to, not because it was in some book out there, but because they freely wanted to. God says, I'll put my spirit in you. We need this story. We need, as Jesus said, the uh, law and the prophets, the smallest letter, the least stroke of a pen. Other translations say every jot and tittle uh, in verse 18. Now, I appreciate that parts of this book are harder going than others, but we need all of it. The justice and the mercy, the slavery and the freedom, the exile and the return, the suffering and the glory. We need the Psalms, the songs that long for God, that are overwhelmed with grief, that declare the wisdom of God, that are full of emptiness, anger, trust and praise. We need the wisdom the, prophet, the, the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We need the Proverbs. Uh, we, we need the prophets who speak of the coming kingdom, of the values of the kingdom of God, and of the coming king. And we need the law. Because as we study the law, and those are the really difficult bits in, in books that you probably haven't even sort of visited, books that are called Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, we need the law because as we study the law, we begin to glimpse the way of God, the heart of God, his deep love for people and his creation, his passion for justice, for the outcast or stranger. They speak of an order that liberates and allows us to become who we were made to be. Yes, some of those Old Testament laws do seem very obscure to us. But when we study them, when we ask why God gave them to his people for that particular time, we begin to uncover a deep wisdom. And Jesus doesn't relax the demands of that law. He says anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And we'll see that in the next few verses, in the next few weeks. You know, for instance, the law says, don't murder. Now, I can generally manage with that one. <laughs> Jesus says, don't even insult another person. <laughs> On that one, I struggle. <laughs> and there are many Old Testament laws that are not immediately relevant for today. We don't follow laws about circumcision or what or what, what we can or can't eat, or what we can do or can't do on the Sabbath, which, by the way, according to the law, is Saturday, not Sunday. But we need to be very careful before we say that any of the Old Testament laws were only relevant for that time and are not relevant for us today. Even some of those most odd ones, like not wearing clothes that combine two different fabrics. We need to make sure that in some way we've not relaxed the law, but that we've understood the heart of the law, the reason it was given, and if anything, we have intensified the law. 
By the way, I still haven't quite worked out what the purpose of that law is, why you can't wear two different fabrics. But I'm sure that, but I am absolutely convinced this is the word of God and there is a reason for that, for why that is. So some of you can come and explain that to me afterwards. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for two reasons. The first is hypocrisy. They teach the law, but they don't practice what they preach. The second is they haven't really understood the law. They've missed the point of the law. They're great on details, but they've missed the big picture. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe, that is, you give a tenth of all that you have, you tithe your mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, These you ought to have done without neglecting the former. And he says of them that they're like the person with a big hot mug of coffee. Well, this isn't quite Jesus, but this is my take on what Jesus says. A blue bottle decides to do a death dive into your big hot cup of coffee. A gnat thinks that's a great idea and follows follows suit. You spend the next five minutes trying to get out the gnat. You finally get out the gnat, you rejoice, and then you drink it. We've become blind to the blindingly obvious. Jesus was asked what the heart of the law was. He replied, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. Those two commands, he says, sum up the whole law and prophets. And by saying that, he was both affirming the law, but also radically extending the law. So if we, who are sinners, wish to become more righteous than the most righteous people of our society today, we first need to go to the Bible to discover what is true righteousness. Can I beg you? Please get to know this book. I am encouraging people to spend 15 minutes each day with God, reading a few verses of the Bible. Get to know the Bible. And I do appreciate it's hard. Now I'm going to do something very odd. If you've got a mobile, a smartphone, and you've got internet connection, would you please get it out now? Here you are, the vicar is telling you to get out your smartphone and the internet. Go to your Safari page or whatever it is, or your, 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 that, that, your, your Android, your um, Google page or your internet page, and go to www, don't need to put that in, wordlive.com. I hope that's correct. Wordlive.com. And not, it's not dot org, but anyway, that's W O R D L I V E dot com. Somebody please tell me if it's org. <laughs> but there you have one of the most brilliant assistances to help you with your daily Bible reading. And it really is something that is so, so encouraging. There are many other ways, but that's just one that's so simple. There you are, now I've lost half of you for the rest of my talk. But anyway, that's beside the point. It's worth it if you find wordlive.com. Is it .com? (laughs) 
But the problem is that knowing what the Bible says does not in itself help us to live good lives. So there's a second thing we need to do if we wish to be salt or light, or if we wish our righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. Secondly, we need to come to Jesus. Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he is saying, I'm the one who gave you the Old Testament. This book is all about me. I'm the one who alone can rightly interpret the Old Testament. I am the one who lives this out as it's meant to be lived. And if we want to know how to live the laws of the Old Testament in the right way, we need to come to Jesus. You see, there's a self-centered righteousness and there's a God-centered righteousness. Self-centered rightness says, I'm a good person and I'm going to show people that I'm a good person by doing what is right. The problem is that we can't because we're not sufficiently good people. We try hard, but we get exhausted and become weary. It's very hard putting on a show all the time. So we lose whatever saltiness we had. God-centered rightness is different. It says, I can't possibly keep this law. I can't possibly love. I can't possibly love like that. I'm weak, I'm sinful, I'm very messed up. And I know, but I know someone who can forgive me and help me and I'm going to him. I'm going to ask him to change my heart so that I both want to do what is right and so I can begin to live what is right. God-centered rightness is not when we give to God but when we receive from God. It begins when we go to Jesus and say, I'm a cold, dead wick. Please set me on fire so that I burn for you. One of the earliest Christian thinkers who lived in these lands, a man called Bede, wrote of how when God became flesh, when Jesus was born as a human being, it was as if our cold human flesh was set on fire by God it began to burn with an inner flame. And when we come to Jesus, our heart can begin to burn with that inner flame. It will not necessarily be dramatic. John Ortberg wrote, the main place you do the work of God, I like this, is as you go along. It doesn't have to be in high profile, important positions. It will happen if it happens at all in the routine unspectacular corners of your life as you go along. If we come to Jesus and remain with him, we will change. How we see God will change. How we see other people will change. Our priorities will change. So will how we meet disappointment or success. It will show when we lose it or what we do when we lose it, or how we lose it. It will show in the way we talk to customers, or pupils, or colleagues, people in the shops, or even to cold telephone callers. 
It will show in a growing respect for every person and every life and in how we treat our bodies and how we treat other people's bodies. It will show in how we're prepared to say sorry or speak the truth, even if it's not to our advantage, in what we want to talk about, in how we spend our money or use our gifts and time. So very simply, may I urge two things. First is this, listen to the Bible. Get to know the Bible. Fight and struggle with those passages of the Bible you don't understand. Wrestle with them. Talk together with others. Come to the Bible. Listen to the Bible. But more importantly, come to the Jesus who this Bible is all about. Come to him. Because then, then we will be salt and we will be light. And glory will be given to God. So, our dear Father, I pray now that you would give us that desire to know you, to know your word, and to come to your Son. Amen.